0: I imagine the combination of stress, sickly children, cold, wet weather and depression led to my illness. I would endured a cough for a few days and was surviving on Chinese cough syrup which dribbled down the side of the bottle and fused it to the table so that it had to be chiseled off with a credit card. It was like cowpaw, only meaner, more black. I liked it, but my body was taking me in another direction. One evening, shivering uncontrollably in the bathroom. I realised that I was becoming fairly unwell. Some Chinese teachers were also unwell, but they never took a day off work, presumably following the logic that passing your owners to others is more economically sound than recovering at home with soup and John Hughes movies. I too followed this logic, and arrived the next morning in front of my class, propped myself up on a desk, and said, Good morning, everyone. An alarmed Yun, my Chinese co-teacher in this class, ran to my aid and sat me down at the back of the class. Some other teacher took over while Yun took me to the on-campus doctor, who found this whole episode highly amusing. Before I knew it, I was on the school bus heading to the hospital. The hospital was horrible. I stood in the cashier queue with Shin, the admin staff who'd picked me up from the airport all those many weeks ago. In silence, we waited behind twenty or so sick people, with me swaying vaguely. Occasionally, one of the sick would lean out of the queue and noisily deposit a ball of phlegm into a bin. If there was no bin, the floor sufficed. It was the most miserable moment of my Chinese adventure so far. It was to get worse before it was to get better. We paid to see a doctor and queued up again in a consultation room. There were four rooms, each containing two doctors who sat opposite each other with paperwork, blood pressure machines, and computers the sick crowded around the doctors waiting to be seen. I was reminded of Médecins Sans Frontières adverts. When your time comes, the doctor sharply and bluntly interrogates you while everyone else looks on. Occasionally, other patients chip in with opinions on your plight, and a sick Lao Wai was especially interesting to them. The one impressive thing I can report on from this afternoon of misery is this. The blood tests are carried out and the results received all within 15 minutes. True, you're not entirely convinced that you're getting the results for your blood or some other poor chaps, but it's still fast. After numerous pokes, listens, questions and scans, I was hooked up to the dreaded drip and left for two hours. Intravenous drips in China are so common that they could qualify as a national winter pastime. When Shin disappeared to grab a coffee and visit the nearby shopping mall, I was left in a room of 100 chairs, entirely full of people hooked up to a variety of colourful liquids. The nurses spoke no English, but when my bag was empty, I clicked the buzzer and someone changed it. I dozed best I could, but struggled in the noise. Chinese are no less chatty when they're sick, I discovered. I had pneumonia, they said. I had to return to the hospital every day for ten days, to get hooked up and dripped into, stay warm and drink warm water in between. Warm water is one of China's golden answers for everything. Fevers, colds, period discomforts, cancer, even death, I'm sure. Chinese people, in accordance with traditional Chinese medicine, tend not to drink cold water, the reason being that it's bad for you, especially if you're a woman. If you read scientific literature, which I don't, you'll find that the perils of cold water is pretty much a misconception. However, once you start drinking hot water, it really grows on you. It just feels healthy. Even so, progress was slow. I felt no change on a daily basis. Woke up sick, went to bed sick, watched movies in between and tried to stomach some food. Jess and Penny, my teacher ally from grade 7, brought me meals from the canteen which seemed to have been made especially disgusting for the occasion. Jane, my boss, sent me a message to say that she knew I was sick and wished me well. She added that I need not worry about classes. Just get better. That was kind, I thought. More kindness was to come. Ewan brought me more fruit than you could find at a still-life exhibition, and she encouraged my recovery in her snappy, chin-up fashion. One day, I found a note had been pushed under the door. I think you know something. We should talk. Get well soon. Penny. Know something. Something about what? But at that moment, I didn't much care. Back home, my parents worried about me. My dad was ready to quit work, run to the airport and fly here tomorrow if need be. Always one for a little drama. But for me, it was no holiday. There were sweats and shivers, and a bowl always in puking distance. When I left London to go to China, Jess had lent me The Road by Cormac McCarthy, I had indeed been setting off on a new road, an uncertain road, but if the road, with its bleak, endless, hopeless monotony, was intended to be a metaphor for my trip to China, then I would have sooner swapped the road for a cliff and headed off down there. What are you trying to say with this, I'd asked her in an email. Nothing, she replied, it's just good, evocative. I didn't finish it. A week in December, Jess's new loan by Sebastian Falk's was far less dire, but no less poignant. With its cross narratives and cultural references, I was reminded of people and places at home. I missed the vibrancy of London, the chance meetings and pockets of subculture. I missed my friends and beer gardens and pool tables, and the nostalgia of the green rolling fields that led me back home on the train. In the gabble of the IV drip room, a hundred indistinct voices battling with air conditioners for airwave supremacy I felt the longing to be home, among the comforting banalities of British life. I wanted to stand on a station platform and hear the 12.14 service to Weymouth is delayed by approximately 26 minutes due to a man hurling himself on the tracks at Basingstoke. I wanted to share a sigh with the man next to me and hear someone say bloody trains. I longed not to be intriguing for my skin colour anymore, to be anonymous again. Instead... I noticed that my hand was hurting. As the days passed, the nurses found it harder to find new places to puncture my veins. Both hands were yellow from bruising and the disgusting solution they applied before the needle goes in. It's never comfortable, but today it actually hurt. A small bulge had appeared under the skin. I called over a nurse and said, Bushufu. Not comfortable. With a little alarm and a nervous chuckle, she removed the needle. She had missed the vein, and the medicine was simply amassing under the skin. She found a new spot on the other hand, and we started again. Kill me, I thought. A group of elderly women were laughing at the situation, each with their own intravenous drips. And before long, they asked me in Chinese where I was from, where I work, and how much money I make. I answered the first two and said, I don't know, for the third. He doesn't know how much money he makes, they laughed. And I slipped off into an uncomfortable doze. One day, on the bus trip to the hospital, Shin told me that Jane wanted to talk to me later. I put it off, not wanting to expend the energy. Shin was too busy to wait at the hospital after the session that day, so I went back alone in a taxi. But the taxis wouldn't take me. If being a troublesome foreigner wasn't reason enough, the distance to the school was. In the damp Changshu winter I hobbled, gambling on which would be the best pavements to stand and beg drivers to stop. Eventually, one took me back, a middle-aged bald man with a thin moustache, smiling eyes and a missing incisor. I was so grateful that I actually tipped him, something you don't generally do around here for taxi drivers, or anyone, for that matter. I dug into my pocket, found a crumpled 5 yuan note, and with a nascent tear filling the bag under my eye, thrust it into his hand. Xie xie. It was late and I had no inclination to talk things over with my boss. A message came through on WeChat, telling me, as if I didn't know, that I hadn't contacted Jane. Instead, said Shin, she had a message for me. Jane wanted to know if I could work mornings and go to the hospital in the afternoons. I asked Shin, with more than a touch of the rhetorical, if she thought I was capable of teaching. She had seen me every day, hobbling along pathetically like a dying otter, coughing up rainbows of phlegm. Did she think I should be working? Chinese teachers are also sick. She replied, but they still work. You've used up your sick day allowance, and the parents are complaining. What little energy I had went into an angry reply to Shin, something along the lines of the school treating your employees like dirt. And an equally angry email to Jane explaining how, quote, shocked, unquote, I was to be asked to teach kids while I was this sick. If you want me to go in and infect 56 kids, then fine. I'll struggle back to work. I didn't know if I was infectious, but that's not the point. And if me being unwell is a problem to you, then by all means sack me and I'll happily go home. She replied that I hadn't followed the protocol for time off, but there's no problem. Just get well and return when you can. If Jane's reply was kinder than Shin's, my theory was developing, it was merely because Jane channeled the nasty part of her managerial authority through Shin. I was to learn this as time went on, along with the realisation that my claim that the school treats its employees like dirt couldn't really have been more accurately put. The next day was another day like any other day. Drive to the hospital, wait in line to pay for an appointment, see the doctor, get signed off for more medicine, wait in line to buy medicine, buy medicine, wait in line to be taken to a drip chair, get hooked up, sit and be miserable for two and a half hours, all under the watching eyes of curious sick people, and get fed orange liquid. Only one thing was different the pretense from Shin had dropped. No more polite manners put on show for the foreign teacher. This Englishman had used up his courtesy allowance. Bad luck would conspire to make me forget my wallet on this day, would you believe it? And when I remembered this in the school van, halfway to the hospital, I told Shin. She looked unimpressed. She asked me what I intended to do, and I had to ask to borrow some money, and she said no, telling me plainly that I'd been rude. But she did help me. She had to. We couldn't afford the time it took to go back to the school and get my money, so it had to come from her. The day after that, Shin stopped coming. Ralph, Kelly's husband, took over the role, much to my relief. Ralph was always great, that's why I barely mention him. Now this is all early days in my China life. I was only a couple of months into what would become six years in the country. I'm not going to pretend that I was getting everything right or being the person that I wanted to be, but I was irritated with some aspects of the job and the sickness had eroded whatever filters usually keep those irritations under wraps. I've since learned that, in China, it's unwise to react with the emotion that you actually feel. A response is better made when it's considered. Perhaps this is true everywhere, but in China it seems especially so. Relationships with superiors are maintained with contrived pleasantries and a tight vow of controlling information. You are never told more than you need to know, and when you are told something, or asked something, you have to ask yourself why you're being told or asked. A manager never wants your opinion or advice, so when you're asked for it, you're more likely being scoped out for something, sussed out, pitted against someone else in a divide-and-rule ruse. I thought back to our second meeting with the management, where the foreign teachers... Especially Mark and Eddie jabbed at the management with sarcasm and griped about our responsibilities. After that meeting, Jane had casually inquired about whether I had a wife and had pointed out that there are many women who work here. Versatile women, as she put it. Thinking back on that conversation, I now became convinced that, I now became sure that, she wanted me to have a girlfriend to tie me into the job. Or how about this? Perhaps to have a Chinese informant close to me. If I'm beginning to sound cynical, worse because I am. If I'm beginning to sound paranoid, well I most certainly was. I did regret my outburst, my angry text to Shin and Jane. Thinking about the Chinese game of survival that we were all being asked to play, it was bad tactics. And thinking about general decency, it was wrong to blame Shin for the deviousness of the school. I apologise to Jane for letting my emotions get the better of me, although I did not take back my opinion. And I apologise to Shin for any hurtful remarks. Jane replied, but Shin didn't. And that was that. Next time I'm stuck in the Middle Kingdom with you, I realise that I'm not the only member of the team who's disenchanted with the school. So until then, take care. You don't want to wind up in a Chinese hospital.